Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you uh, so much for your word. Thank you for Brian and, and bringing him here to, uh, to help us work through some of the, the quizzing with uh, Jeremy and Joel Ross. And Lord, I just thank you for them and their desire to be trained. Thank you for these teens and their desire to learn. Father, I do pray that you would uh, help us to be able to understand your truths, that you would help us to be able to overcome sin, that you would help us to be seeking to, to please you and equip us uh, to be able to do works that are pleasing to you. I ask that you'd help me as I finish up uh, this uh, section on the hypostatic union, that I'd be able to present it clearly, and that we would just continue to learn and grow. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to wrap up the hypostatic union today. Uh, we were going to wrap the hypostatic union, but now we're going to wrap it up. Okay, so um, last time we talked about the humanity of Christ. This week we're going to talk a little bit about the deity of Christ, and then we're going to try to bundle that together. So I'm not going to go as deep into the deity of Christ as I did the humanity of Christ. Well, that seems to be a funny thing to not go as deep into, Rob. Why would you do that? I'm glad you asked that question. Okay, so uh, because in three weeks, David is going to do a two-week series on the deity of Christ. And so uh, these understanding with hermeneutics, it, it's every, each of these is not isolated. It's not hypostatic union in a vacuum. All right, the hypostatic union ties into and flows into and plays into. So in, in, you know, in three weeks, David's doing that for two weeks. And then that would mean in five weeks, I am going to be doing the kenosis. Uh, and so it's going to overlap. And we've actually been talking about leaders. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to not teach your lesson, but it ties into this, right? And so you're probably going to hear some of the things I'm talking about when David teaches and you heard some of the things that David taught about uh, back uh, a few weeks ago that he taught about some of the things I'm talking about. They all interlace and intertie, but I do want to leave some meat on the bone for David because his, the main focus of his is the deity of Christ. And so it is necessary to understand the hypostatic union uh, and be able to talk a little bit about the deity of Christ. And so... Um, Let's just do a little bit of recap, and I do apologize for not having outlines. My computer has turned into a brick, like uh, that's what it's good for right now, and so I'm using a, a backup computer. I'm actually using the youth room computer uh, until I get a replacement computer, and so my ability to print right now is, I don't want to put a bunch of extra stuff on that because that's set up particularly for using this, and so it's not set up for the printer in the office, and I'm trying to not overload that. I'm just temporarily borrowing that. So anyhow, you don't have outlines today. I apologize for that, um, but hopefully you can follow along and keep up. Uh, so recap on the humanity of Christ. Uh, so big picture, again, the hypostatic union, for those of you that maybe weren't here last week, is uh, the, the substance of Christ. What, what is the substance of Christ? And that is that he's 100% God, 100% man, all right? He's not 50-50. He's not a mix. It is, it's 200%, okay? 200%. He is 100% God, 100% man. And that blows our minds 
right? How can this be? Well, it, it's kind of like the Trinity blows our minds, right? And so there are some things that are hard to understand, but yet God has given us so that we would try to understand them, so that we might know him deeper. So recap, uh, why did Jesus come to earth and take on flesh? So he needed to be born under the law to redeem those that were under the law. Galatians 4, 4, and 5 tells us that, is that he needed to be born under the law to redeem those that are under the law. And so we know that we are under the law, right? That's, we're guilty by God's law, and that's sin, right? So what is sin according, according to the catechisms? Uh, those of you that came up through Grace Kids Kingdom, what's sin? Any transgression, any violation of God's law. And so God is, is the moral purity, right? He's perfect, he's holy, he's just. He's the creator and owner of all things. So because he created everything, he has the right to have authority over things, right? Your parents, right, through, through the miraculous work of God, your parents created you. You understand that, right? Do your parents have authority over you? Go question that, and you find out who has authority, right? Go, go tell your parents, you're not the boss of me, and then you find out who's the boss of you, right? And so God is the creator of all things. Nothing that was made was made apart from him, right? And so as the creator of all things, he has the right to have authority over all things. And so he has established the law that we are guilty of because all have sinned, all Everybody, you, me, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so because we've sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, we have violated his law, and so therefore we don't meet his standards, and he has determined what the penalty is. He says that the wages of sin, the price for sin is death. That word wages is like what you would see here about a paycheck. It's like when I enter into a contract with somebody, so I've got a contract with the church. I work here at the church full time, and they have expectations of me, and I work, and I do those expectations, and they have guaranteed me or promised me a certain amount of pay for that work in exchange for my labor, and so I do that work. They give me my pay. Our works of sin, what we have earned, what we deserve, our paycheck, if you would, for our sin is death. The price for sin is death. And so because of this, we are under the law. The ransom, the way God has structured it, is that in order to appease that, Christ needed to be born under the law and live the perfect life. He lived under the law but didn't violate God's commandments. He lived the perfect life, something you and I are not capable of doing, right? And so he lived that perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice to die on our behalf. That's important to understand, right? He also uh, filled the need for a blood sacrifice, Hebrews 2.12. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He filled that need for a blood sacrifice, and it wasn't ever the, the blood of goats or rams or bulls. It, those sacrifices were temporary, pointing to Christ. This was the perfect once-for-all sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. Uh, he also fulfilled the prophecies of, uh, 
the Messiah, being from the seed of a woman, being from the seed of Abraham, and being from the seed of David, right? And so Genesis 3.15, Genesis 22, 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17 tells you those prophecies, those promises of the Messiah coming from the seed of these people. And so it also is the plan that God had for redemption from the, the beginning. And also he needed to be born in the flesh, 100% man, to secure our hope in the resurrection. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Christ raised from the dead. He was, he, that was the validation, the seal of approval that God had affirmed and approved and received the sacrifice he made. He accepted that work that he did. And not only did he accept the work that he did, but the Bible also calls him the first among many, the firstborn among many. And so we will follow in his likeness. That is our hope. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we're not going to rise from the dead. And we of all men are most to be pitied. He's saying as if there is no resurrection, you're wasting your life trying to be a Christian. You're wasting your life trying to follow Christ if there's no resurrection. And so there is a resurrection. Christ did rise from the dead, and we will follow in that. And he rose from the dead as a human, with a human body, and so we too will rise from the dead. And Christ remains uh, now uh, 100% God, 100% man. So 1 John tells us uh, in regards to the, what the Bible tells us about the deity of Christ. 1 John tells us uh, that Christ was in the beginning. He was with God and he was God. Everything that was made was made by him. And through him there was nothing that was made. In Colossians 2.9, it says, For in him all the fullness, fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. So understand, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is God. It's in Scripture, okay? Now, you can run into people that are going to try to tell you, First John is saying that it, he was a God. Uh, it's pretty clear if you keep reading in First John. He's ascribing to Christ deity. And then Colossians 2, 9, I mean, for in him all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. That's hard to get around, with, around if you're trying to ascribe to Christ not being deity. And so a lot of people, many people, most people will admit Jesus Christ was an actual person in history. All right? The, the problem is, is that people have a hard time admitting that he is God. People don't really have a hard time admitting that he's man. However, there are some that kind of conv convolute the two, and they're like, okay, Jesus was a person that was possessed by the Spirit of Christ at the baptism of John, and then, you know, carried that up into to the crucifixion, okay? And so, and then the, the resurrection was just a spiritual. And so there's people that will try to twist and turn, and really a lot of that comes from a lack of our human minds being able to comprehend this. You need to understand that we can't constrain God to the limitations of our minds. Are there things that you don't know yet? Your head should be north and south, right? Yes. 
There are things you don't know yet. So if there are things that you don't know yet, then how can we say God must not be real because it just doesn't make sense in my head? Right? There are, there are areas of space that we don't even know exist. Do you understand there are areas of the ocean that we don't know what is down there, haven't explored? There are things, they're discovering new tribes occasionally out in the, in the random remote parts of the world in the jungles that they never even knew were there. There are things, we are getting new discoveries, new creations. God created all of this. How can you limit the creator of science and natural law to his creation, right? You're saying, you were good enough, you were great enough to create all these things, but now you have to come underneath and follow those rules, right? God gets, the, the definition of a miracle is something that can't be described by science or natural law. God doesn't have to play by the rules that he has set for mankind. He steps in and out of these rules, and he's not constrained by them. He's the one that created and made them. All right, also, you need to understand that Christ proclaimed his deity. Christ proclaimed his deity. In John 8, 58, uh, we have the situation, or the stunning statement by Jesus. He says, before Abraham was, I am. It would, it would be, still be an odd claim that he's making, because he's talking to the Pharisees, and he starts talking about his time with Abraham, and they're like, wait a minute, you're like 30 years old. How in the world are you saying you were with Abraham? And so his response is, before Abraham was, I am. It would still be an odd response, but it would be a little more grammatically correct if he said, before Abraham was, I was. But him saying, before Abraham was, I am, that holds some significance, doesn't it? Anybody know why that holds significance? Jackson. Saying I am is claiming to be God. What's an example of that? Boom. Exodus 3.14, right? It tells us that this is the name that God told Moses. To, when Moses said, when I go, who should I say sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent you. This is the name God uses to distinguish himself as the eternal existing one, the God who is the source of his own existence and who always has been and will always be. This is the name that God has ascribed to himself. Further in John uh, chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus uh, states, I and the Father are one. Not I and the Father are of one mind. Not I and the Father have the same purpose, the same goal. We're on the same team. No, he's saying I and the Father are one. The Jehovah's Witnesses will take and turn that. They'll take and turn uh, John 1 and say he was saying in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. 
right? And then they're going to say with this in John 10.30 that he is saying, I and the Father are of one mind. I and the Father agree upon this. We have the same goal. It's kind of like we are one, right? We, are, we have the same goal as Grace Community Church in, the, in our youth ministry. We have the same goal, the same purpose. That is that we would be evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints for the works of service. We want to put off sin and put on righteousness. We have the same goals. So we, you could say we are of one. We are of one mind, right? But that's not what this is saying. And the, script, the context actually really does flesh that out for us because in both cases, in both scenarios, with Jesus saying, I am, and with Jesus saying, I and the Father are one, what's the response of the Pharisees or the Jews that are there? Anybody know what the response is? Chapel? They pick up stones and they want to stone him. Why in the world would, if, if I was uh, here, right, and Gabriel comes up to me and says, Rob, I really want to be a part of the youth ministry. I really want to be invest, invested. I, I mean, uh, I'm of one mind. We, we have the same purpose. We have the same goal. Why would I want to harm Gabriel for that? right? Be like, great. He wants to be used by God to bring glory for God. This is good. Why would I want to harm him for that? If he came and says, hey, Rob, I want to take over your job. I'm going to kick you out. I mean, you need to leave. Now, well then, I mean, I still wouldn't want to harm him, but we would have some conflict, right? And even more so if he came to me and says, listen, uh, I'm, I'm deity. It's like, no, you're actually heresy go away, right? And so that's the response of the Jews towards Jesus is, this is heresy. You are a heretic. You are claiming to be God, and therefore you need to die. And they were ready. They picked up stones, and they tried to stone him. If you don't believe me, then you just keep looking in John 10. Jesus asked them, he's, in verse 31, he asks, I've done, he said, I've done a lot of works among you. For which of the works that I've done are you getting ready to stone me? And in verse 32, the Jews reply, Jews reply, not for any of your works, but because you blaspheme and claim to be God. That's why the Jews picked up the stones. Jesus Christ claimed to be God. If he was not God, if he is not God, then he is not a good man. You need to understand that. There's no neutral ground. People that claim Jesus Christ was a real person in history will say he was a prophet, he was a good man, but he was not God. If he was not God, he was not a good man because he claimed to be God. He asked people to die for him. He asked people to not just die for him, he asked people to live their, dedicate their entire lives for him. He's asked you to do that. If any man wishes to come after me, he must do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you desire to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're asked to deny yourself. Why? Because my heart is exceedingly wicked. It is deceitful. 
It can't even be comprehended. My desires are to please myself, which oftentimes, actually all the time, means sinfulness. It means that I get to, to eat whatever I want, no matter how good or healthy it is. I get to put substances in my body that feel good, right? I get to lie, cheat, manipulate, steal. I get to commit adultery. I get to lust. I get to do all of these things if I'm serving myself, right? Because you and I both know if we're being real and honest with ourselves, we're not good people, right? If people, if I could take and say, listen, for the past 13, 16, 18 years, however old you've been alive, if, if I could say, listen, I've actually got a video of everything that has gone through your mind, every thought that's gone through your mind. And so we're going to sit here and we're going to project that up on the screen and we're going to play that for everybody here in the youth room to know what you have thought, the things you have done in secret. Everybody's going to get to see that. How many of you would sit in this room to watch your life be played like that? I'd be running. I would go run and hide in a cave because I am embarrassed and ashamed of some of the thoughts that have come through my mind. Right? And so understanding that I am not a good person, but Jesus is a good person. Jesus' claim to deity, it, if he's not God, he's not a good person. He had to be perfect. He had to be holy. He had to be just. He is not like us in that he had a sin nature because he didn't have a biological father. The Holy Spirit planted the seed in Mary. But he had a biological mother so that he could be 100% human. right? And so he didn't inherit that sin nature from Adam. And so he was pure. But he, he was good. Okay? And if he's claiming to be God and he's not God, he's not good. He's a liar right there. That disqualifies him. He wasn't the spotless lamb. He wasn't the perfect sacrifice. He couldn't atone for your sin. God wouldn't have raised him from the dead. And there would be no hope for you or me if Jesus Christ was not 100% God. You need to understand that. Everything rides on the fact that Jesus is exactly who Scripture tells us he is. He is 100% God. And so there was no fault, no error, no sin found in him. Um, and so, let's see, let me go back here for a second and look at my notes because I, I went way off on a goat trail. Uh, all right, so now we're talking about uh, Christ received worship. All right, angels prophets, apostles, all refused worship. They refused to accept the glory given by men because they knew they cannot steal glory from God. Revelations 2, 8 and 9 says, the angels uh, tell John, don't worship me. I am like you and the prophets made to worship God. Don't worship me. I'm like you and the prophets that are made to worship God. The first two of the Ten Commandments are about worshiping God, right? What's the first commandment? What's that? So that's the greatest commandment, right? The Ten Commandments. We're going through the Ten Commandments. That's the first commandment, right? 
Thou shalt have no other gods before me, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Uh, thou shalt make not, not make unto me any grave, graven images, or yeah, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or any likenesses of anything in the heavens above or the earth beneath. Thou shalt not bow down to, to them. He says, I am a jealous God, and I will visit the iniquities of those that hate me to the third and fourth generation. Right? And so there is curses upon your families for your hatred of God. And yet God's rich in mercy and forgiveness. But God is a jealous God. He doesn't share his glory with anyone. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He has the right to be jealous. But Jesus receives worship. Matthew 28, 9 through 17. John 9, uh, 38. John 20, 28. If Jesus is not God, then he was definitely not a good man. He wasn't an angel, and he wasn't less than God. He received worship. The wise men came. They brought gifts, and they worshiped. Peter proclaims, you are the Christ. The Son of God. And he received the worship. The angels, you think about that. The, the angels, when people would try to worship, they're like, no, don't worship me. The, the prophets of old, they were like, no, don't worship me. Peter himself was telling people, don't worship me. They, they tried to ascribe to him uh, deities because God used them to do miracles. And they were begging people. They were afraid. They were petrified when people tried to come and worship them. No, stop, please, don't worship us. This is wrong. We are not God. Christ said, worship me. He's not a good man if he's not God. So how does all of this work together then? Right? We got 100% God, 100% man. How does it work? Jesus is fully God. He always has been and will always be. He's uh, never become anything less than God, but he did become a man and now eternally exists as the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. So the last two weeks, we've looked at scripture uh, that clearly tells us this is, that this is, and to argue anything different would be to explain away scripture, and that is a path I am not willing to take. You need to understand that. I've tried to lay out for you with Scripture the proofs that God, Jesus Christ is 100% man, 100% God. If you would disagree with that, if anybody would disagree with that, let it be that they're disagreeing with God's Word. Okay? Uh, if I doubt God, uh, God's Word, because of my human mind, can't fully wrap around it, then I'm the one with the problem. Uh, I've told the perfect and holy God, the everlasting God, I am smarter than he is because it can't be because my brain can't wrap around it. So Romans 3 Three through four, although the verse is talking about the guilt of all, the principle of God's nature is the same in this. He says, What then, if some did not believe 
their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. The very essence of faith is believing in assurance, right? Belief in an assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. God does not need to prove himself to us. You understand that? That's so ridiculous. People are like, God, if you're real, prove yourself to me. Sometimes God is so gracious, and he does. But God doesn't have to prove himself to us. Does your parent have to prove to you that they're the authority over you? No. They know they're the authority over you. They don't have to prove that. You're going to find it out sooner or later, right? You're going to push the lines eventually, and you're going to find out where that authority is, where that line lies, right? God doesn't have to prove anything to us. That's ridiculous. God proved that you're the boss of me. It's like standing there and telling the cop when he pulls you over and he says, okay, I'm going to arrest you and take you to jail. You're like, prove it. See how that goes for you, right? You're not the boss of me. Everybody, every little kid's done that one, at one point in time or the other, right? You're not the boss of me. Like, uh, yeah, you are. It was uh, kind of funny. Um, Avery, uh, she doesn't mind me telling you this, is, uh, she's our youngest. And when she first came into our home, uh, she's sitting on the floor and it was bath time. And Reagan was trying to get her to do a bath. And uh, she didn't want to take a bath. And she was still being kind of sweet. Eventually, kind of turned into a bit of a fit, but she realized she was still wasn't going to get her way. And Rego was like, um, you're going to get a bath. And she turns around and looks at her and goes, how about this? You do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do. And I was like, well, let me pull up a chair. I want to see how this is going to work out. <laughs> right? Um, and, and guess what? Avery got a bath. But she tried to, to push that. Every one of my kids has done that. It's kind of like that Tyler when he was little. He, like, I remember really clear. He was like, going to be a big boy at three years old. Dad told him, no. Guess what? Tyler did what I asked him to do. You know? And so we don't have to prove ourselves to God. Uh, we believe him by faith. This is much like uh, trying to explain the Trinity. We have what God tells us, and we believe it by faith. God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. As kind of wrapping this up, you need to understand that why is this important, right? Why are we studying this? This is some big stuff. This is the hypostatic union. How many of you was that a new word for? Probably not many of you, but there's probably some of you. That was kind of a new word even, right? Hypostatic union. It sounds like some electrical uh, connection, right? That's the new power for the future, the hypostatic union. All our cars are going to run off of it in the future, right? That's what it sounds like at some point. So well, why is it important? Why do I need to study this? Why do I need to know this? Well, because... Scripture holds everything we need for life and godliness. And God has taken the time to explain to us who he is and what he is. And so this is something God has given us to know about him. And so even though it's hard for us to wrap our minds about it, it is something God wants us to know about him. It's worth studying, right? This is like when I married my wife, all right, I knew her, 
But I continue to know her more and more and more. I study her. I want to know her. She's changing. We're both getting older together. I love getting old with my wife. Getting old is awesome. I mean, yeah, we get, I get in my aches and pains and my creaks and groans, and, and it's just started, and, I, and there's some older people that are like, son, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? I get that. I get that. However, I'll take the trade-off because of the wisdom, the love, the life. I love getting old. I love getting old with my wife. 25 years of marriage, and I'm still studying her and learning about her. I'm still learning. I'm, I'm still not a great, perfect husband, okay? But it's a good, it's so good. And so I want to know her deeper. I want to know her more. God wants you to know him deeper. He wants to know you to know him more. Salvation is just the beginning of that process. That's the wedding. That's the uniting, right? And now you've got the rest of your life to get to know him more. That's the process of sanctification. You need to know more about God to be sanctified that brings us to glorification. So this is that process. This is how that works. This is how God's determined it to work. And so it's important for you. And so even though it's hard to get your mind wrapped around, pray and ask God. God, help me understand this. This is deep. God understands and he knows. And then another thing is, is on the flip side of that, is there are entire religions built off of this argument on the flip side saying Jesus Christ is not God. You understand that? There are entire religions. You need to know how to identify false teaching because they can use a lot of the same words. And it is heresy to say that Jesus Christ is not God. And so you need to know why he is God, how he's demonstrated and shown that he is God, that he is man, that this is what Scripture says, so that you can defend against and not get caught up in false belief, not be led astray by false teachers. And so it is important that you study these things. It's important that you dig deep. And so I challenge you and exhort you to try to continue just because it's hard to understand doesn't mean you don't desire to understand it and continue to dig deep. Ask God to reveal himself more and more. Study his word. That's how he's revealed himself. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you that Jesus Christ is exactly who your word says he is. I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to continue to grasp and learn and grow and I just uh, thank you so much that you don't leave us without hope. You don't leave us without help. This is not doctrine of men. This is the doctrines that you have given us, Lord. And I pray that we would uh, be able to present them well, understand them well, live them out well in the light of exactly who you are. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.